You're watching the number one source for insight into the economy, stocks, cryptocurrencies, and revolutionary trends. From sea to shining sea and across the globe, this is The Cody Willard Show. Brought to you by TradingWithCody.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Cody Willard Show. Author Thomas Frank, you've... Uh, his latest book, Listen Liberal, but he's got a new one coming up that I hope we're actually going to hit on a little bit that I think it's stuck in his head. Welcome to the show, Thomas. And if you would give us a little more introduction about yourself. Cody, it's uh, great to be here. What, what can I say? I'm a, a author and a journalist and I've written a whole bunch of books. And <clears throat> the, the field that I'm most interested in is where politics and economics intersect. Uh, you know what you might remember, Cody? I used to be a columnist for the Wall Street Journal back in the day, a uh, long time yes, ago. Absolutely. Well, it was, it was dirt. When the financial crisis happened is, is uh, I had started, I had only been there for a mm, couple of months at that point. I had to get educated real quickly. <laughs> well, you know, though, let's, let's not discount the qualifications that you already had. You, had, you have a PhD from um, the University of Chicago, of all places, which you know, a bastion of conservative thought, really, uh, Milton Friedman-esque. And, um, oh, right, but that's, that's, that's in what, economics. My, my, my degree is in history, so I-, I Correct, what I'm saying, I mean, come on, it's, <laughs> it's a university that's associated with Milton Friedman. And right. um, you're now talking, not just politics and history, but economics in large part, because as I've talked about in this day and age, it's a revolution in, pol in political economics, really where the government, um, you know, people used to somewhat call it fascism. Now fascism means something a little more nationalistic, but the original definition of it was that it was the marriage of business with government. And if, let's jump right in. You know, one of the things that I want to sort of frame the discussion with you is you were originally a conservative in college, as I understand it. And over time, you've morphed into what you label yourself, I think, as a liberal. But well, I mean, who the hell knows? Yes, I, I, but I also I also make fun of liberals. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty liberal. But look, what is the definition of liberal and conservative? I don't even I don't think there's a way of pigeonholing people into liberal and conservative anymore. And furthermore, I want you to hit on this theme of the Democrats pretend they're liberal. The Republicans can pretend they're conservative, but both are completely owned and funded by giant banks and corporations, whether it's the Obama bailout, Bush bailout of the banks and auto companies, or whether it's Obamacare, or whether it's Trump's tax package, or the tariffs, or the welfare for the farmers that he's putting through. All of these things are written for and lobbied for, and the whole idea for them comes from giant corporations and banks. How do we fix this? Where are we going with this? Well, Jesus, that's a that's a big question, Cody. I mean, that's that's the question of our time. But uh, I mean, just to, to 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 put a little detail on it, uh, it's so the way I look at it, and, and you're exactly right, by the way, when you're talking about, let's say, the banks that uh, the banks supported both uh, George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Uh, and uh, they they put their money on Hillary in 2016. And so it didn't work out 
so well for them. But then uh, it turns out it, it worked out okay in the end, and they got you know, they're, yeah, I mean, they're they're but, amply represented in Trump's cabinet. Maybe they were all. smart enough to know they didn't need to fund <laughs> Trump at all because, yeah. like, what was he going to do when he got elected anyway? Well, I don't know. Very bank friendly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, and uh, but this this it goes on and on and on and. Um, but there are some distinctions that can be made uh, amid this, like, it, it's not that they're all exactly the same. So the way I look at it, the uh, Republicans speak for the interests of your traditional business elite. Uh, and the Republican Party is closely identified with them. And, uh, you know, we're talking about the Koch brothers here, uh, the oil industry, etc. And uh, the Democrats speak for uh what I refer to as the professional class, sort of the upper 10% of the income distribution. These are people with advanced degrees, uh, uh, but also people who are very affluent, who do very well. They refer to themselves as the creative class. This is a common uh, phrase that you'll hear. By the way, I should say I, I live here in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. right now, and that's... Um, that's everybody that lives around me. That's 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 what they are. They're, well, they're, that's they're basically from this class, your but... target audience, is it not? I mean, <laughs> well, that's so... another problem, isn't it? That's who. That's who reads journalism in America. You know, that's, right. that's who listens and they to won't NPR. You into one thing or the other. People think because I was a Fox Business anchor for a long time that I got attacked the other day about being a conservative, and I'm neither conservative nor liberal. I am a free. Thinker, and I think that's what the gist of what you are hitting at is that people, you know, we associate. I don't think the the Republican Party is associated with the Koch brothers and big business anymore. The people around me here in southeastern New Mexico, rural, white Lincoln County, very much a white population with some Mexicans and Apache Indians and blacks mixed in, but it it's a very Republican. And they love their Fox News, they love their Trump, and they think he's an outsider. They don't think he's for this big business Koch brother traditional Republican thing. Oh my God, I know. I know. And by the way, this is you're, you're, you put your finger on the subject that I've been writing about now for, I did the math the other day, 20 years when I first started writing about uh, what you described, which is um, average Americans, uh, working people as well as uh, people in management uh, supporting uh, conservative politicians. And this is something that I saw going on in my home state in Kansas, which once upon a time was very radical. And uh, that's for me, that is the story of our time, is this big shift from the political arrangement of our parents or our grandparents' time when you know unions supported the Democrats and business supported the Republicans. And that was that was the political dividing line in this country and that's where the that's where the battle line was and today it's all scrambled and mixed up and lots of people whose parents voted or grandparents voted for democrats themselves today support you know watch fox news and support the republicans and that's what i've been writing about but, all these years yeah so i i gotta just call it out I, I can't believe that you and so many other very smart people were foolish enough to think that Obama would somehow magically go against all of the bankers and corporations that funded his election and say, oh, now I'm going to lower the boom on him. It's even healthcare with Obamacare, completely written a corporate giveaway. The bill was yeah. written by corporations and he's like, and people to this day are like, well, it was for the poor people. No, it wasn't. How can did I, you buy into that? That's a, that's a really good, I mean, that's a really good point. And 
Obama, I mean, you were looking at, it sounds like at the time you were looking at where the financial contributions were coming from. And I was listening to what Obama was saying. And he was, he gave a very famous speech at Cooper Union where he showed a, uh, probably the best understanding of what was going on with the financial crisis of any politician out there, uh, any politician. And he's also the guy running for the presidency. So that he seemed like exactly the right guy. I also thought he would appoint, um, I mean, I had met Obama. I lived in his neighborhood in Chicago and I knew he was a very smart man. And I assumed he would uh, be advised by the best people in the field. And we'll come back to that in a second because he was he was, and that was That's his downfall. That was his that was his downfall. You know, Larry Summers, etc. But the uh, I also thought that the uh, situation would force his hand. You know, Franklin Roosevelt was not a, a real radical either, but the. Uh, he had to do what he did to the banks, which is he put many of them out of business. He used his bailout authority over the banks to put many of them out of business, to fire executives, you know, to go around the country and completely reorganize the banking system of this country. He didn't do that because that's really what he believed in. He did it because it had to be done if you wanted to... Uh, if you wanted to get the economy of this country going again, you had and, to, and if you wanted to definancialize. If you wanted to retain the vote of the popular people, yep. they, and that's and by the way, Roosevelt succeeded. He, Roosevelt succeeded how in that. Heck, does, how <laughs> the heck do Republicans re elect Bush a second time after he leads us into Iraq? How in the heck do Democrats elect Obama a second time after he bails out banks and puts through a corporatist Obamacare program? Well, that's easy because because the Republicans nominated Mitt Romney, you know, and. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's, I mean, it was, but you look at the hope and enthusiasm for Obama in 2008 and just ask yourself this, if he had delivered on, on, uh, if he had delivered even slightly on the kind of uh, Rooseveltian promise that I thought he stood for, uh, he would, we would have amended the constitution and given him a third term. I mean, that guy would be, he would be incredibly popular today. What if he had prosecuted some of these wall street guys? Exactly. I, I hope <laughs> what if, you know, seriously. That. And it's, and wait, said, that was, if, that should have happened. That should have happened, the, Cody. The it was of JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo were blatantly lying about the shape of their balance sheets. Yeah. The liars risk loans, involved Cody. in the they assets were, they were they, they, knew, they knew these and, things were called liars' loans, and they were they were packaging them up and selling them to retirees in Germany. Don't tell me that's not fraud. I mean, and don't <laughs> tell me even just from a, 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 an investor standpoint, someone a, a grandmother who owns Bank of America stock was being lied to about what their balance sheet looked like at Bank of America itself. And the fact that they were insolvent in a crisis, and so I, I mean, I from top to down, there should have been prosecutions. There weren't. Not only yeah. were there no prosecutions, but the, by the way, that's the just the start of it. That's just the start of it. Jamie Diamond today, an actual billionaire. Yeah. That, that's just the start of it. I mean, there should have been because Obama had bailout authority because he had he had every bank right where he wanted them, right? He had seats on their boards. He, uh, he basically can do whatever he wants with the banking system of this country. And he chose um, to do nothing. He chose to go back to status quo ante. Let's get them back to where no, they were before. No, he did worse than nothing. 
He yeah. did worse than nothing. He wrote trillion dollar checks. He he and Timmy Geithner, little yeah, Timmy yeah. Geithner, the Treasury Secretary type, phoned the runways, writing trillion dollar that's welfare right. checks and that's, to by the richest way, that's people the, out the country who should be going to jail. That's the that is the, the that that phrase phoned the runways. That should be the epitaph for liberalism in our in our time. That 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 Amen. is should be on the gravestone. I mean, we had hope in this. We had I mean, we thought that this guy was going to do something, and he he didn't deliver. By the way, to get back to the Roosevelt analogy. Franklin Roosevelt, because of the the way he governed during the Great Depression, his party controlled Congress until 1994. <laughs> you know, 60 years. You know, that's how popular the Democrats were. That's how popular what Franklin Roosevelt. That's what he. How popular what he did was right. And yeah. uh, Barack, Barack Obama had that opportunity before him and didn't take it. And yeah. there's a lot of a lot of reasons for that. And uh, I mean, and this is, by the way, people like you and I will be debating this for the rest of our lives. Uh, Barack Obama himself has never really answered the question why he did what he did. Um, there, you know, we have memoirs from people like Geithner and uh, et cetera from lots of these people. I collect them. Bernanke writing have, his. I, yes, Bernanke. I have I have the whole set. I was courageous <laughs> enough to write trillion dollar welfare checks to rich yeah. bankers with other people. Such money. courage, such courage. By the way, can I um, throw something a fact in there that you may or may not uh, be aware of? In the uh, 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 the the emails that got leaked to WikiLeaks in 2016, you remember the Podesta emails. The sure. uh, and the the newspapers what they covered were the ones that had to do with Hillary Clinton and her uh, speeches to bankers. Do you remember this? And they it was all over the front pages. But if you dig into those emails, there's one that's even more shocking than that, and it is uh, it's from 2008, and it's uh, it's a round robin set of emails going on and on uh, where uh, various Democrats are choosing Barack Obama's cabinet for him. Uh, while he's on the campaign trail. It's in October of 2008. And the guy who is uh, 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 the, the, you know, circulating these emails is at Citibank. Uh, that's, uh, meanwhile, Citibank is literally asking for $25 billion welfare checks so that they I mean, don't go insolvent and they can Paul, actually keep the lights Paul, off. Paul Krugman was saying, you've got to do, do something about Citibank. Make it your test case. Take these guys apart, you know, uh, uh, break it apart, put some of the branches out of business, put or some of the divisions out of business, but, you know, do this with some of the other divisions. Make this your test case. He, he never did anything with Citibank. It, it's it's still Obama. It's, did. It, it's it, Obama didn't. It's incredible to me. Incredible. And, to me. But again, I have to actually rephrase it. It's not that he didn't do anything. He actually proactively helped the guys who were inside of city, yes, uh, city stay there. So, so the question is why, and uh, uh, you know, was he? Is it because he was poorly advised? I mean, he was he was poorly advised. Yes, I don't think I'm that naive. Uh, I, you know, I wonder about that myself. I, uh, he I, knew, and, and ultimately, what I think is that Obama did said, what he did. Thomas, you just said that you heard him talk at that speech back in 2008 when he was on the campaign trail, and his yeah. grasp of the problems of the financial crisis. And what needed to be done in that speech were clear and they were precisely what yeah. needed to be yeah. done. And it included putting bankers in jail. Well, no, I don't think he, I don't think he actually, I don't think he actually said that. Enforcing but... capitalism. 
And he didn't but do he, that. And I'm not naive to think that it was, some, it was because Larry Summers was his advisor. I mean, come on. No, Obama chose, no, he knew, he was faking it the whole the way. And I called it the whole way, by the way, at the time. <laughs> Well, ultimately, of course, you're right. Of course, the buck stops with the president. And the answer that I always give is he, you know, we don't know the workings of his mind. We don't know what he was thinking at the time. We don't ultimately know. And we won't until he writes his memoirs. And my money says we won't know it even then. But the uh, ultimately, you have to say Obama did what he did because that's what he wanted to do. Correct. And this is, this is very disappointing for a lot of Democrats because they love that man. And he's he's a... I don't know if you've ever heard him speak in person. He is the most extraordinary orator you have ever heard in your lifetime. And I, I was at the Democratic Convention here in 2016, the one where they nominated Hillary. And, you know, Hillary is not an inspiring figure. Her vice presidential candidate, Tim Kaine, is even is way below her, you know, not not even as inspiring as Hillary. A whole series of really lackluster speakers. And then Barack Obama comes out there and man, he's great. And you're listening to him, and I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm very critical of Barack Obama and of his administration. That's what Listen Liberal is. I'm very critical of him. But listening to him, I was just saying to myself, this guy's fantastic. We should nominate this guy again, you know? <laughs> this guy's a, a wonderful. It, it, it sort of segues me to, to Thomas, the one, the, the, the way that I, the only thing I can come up with a solution here, if we can sort of point towards something there, is that we have to end partisanship and parties entirely. We we have the, you. It can't be you voting and doing your patriotic duty does not entail going into a voting booth and pulling a lever because you're liberal and therefore I'm going to vote for the pretend liberals, the Democrat corporatist party. Oh, I'm a conservative. I'm going to go in here and pull this lever because I'm going to vote for the Republican corporatist party because they say they're conservative. When do people stop buying into the BS like you are and? even trying still today not to believe Barack Obama when he so compellingly you know, tells his Exactly. Lies. Exactly. And he's a, he is, uh, he is utterly compelling. And the next, and by the way, and Trump is, Trump, is, Trump, 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 not is, that Trump is too, for a certain yeah, kind Trump of so listener. Compelling. Yeah, no, there's a certain kind of listener that, that hears Trump and thinks William Jennings Bryan, you know, <laughs> this is a great, great man. Uh, I'm not, I'm not that one of the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The original I'm not, politician. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not one of those, I'm not one of those listeners, but I understand that, that sentiment. How do you get out of it? Well, so Cody speaking as a, and now as, as someone that, you know, has spent a lot of time around politicians and, and, in you know, writing about the political system, you can't, break free from the two-party system that easily. It's it's next to impossible to do. However, what we saw in 2016, we saw some remarkable things going on. And by the way, and I document this going way back, so that, that, that party systems can be overthrown from within. It can happen. This is one of the stories, nobody remembers this, but this is one of the stories that I tell in What's the Matter with Kansas, is how these... Um, very conservative people overthrew the local Republican Party in Kansas, which was a moderate party, a Dwight D. Eisenhower, you know, Alf Landon kind of Republican Party. And it was overthrown uh, from within by working class people uh, who turned it way to the right. Now, it didn't work out very well for them. In the end, they got Sam Brown back as their, as their governor, you know, and next down, next, coming up next is Chris Kobach. Uh, but, but nevertheless, they did it, you know. And you look at what happened in 2016. Donald Trump 
uh, came from nowhere and completely destroyed the Republican establishment. He uh, wrecked the legacy of the Bush family, et cetera, et cetera. You look at the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders came from basically here in Washington, D.C. He's regarded as a crank, as a fringe figure. And he came damn close to toppling well, the, the, reason, the Clinton dynasty. The only reason he didn't win is because the Democrat Party itself fixed their process to make sure their corporatist Hillary Clinton got through. But I got to push back on you saying that Bush somehow does any damage to a, I mean, that Trump does any damage to a Bush legacy. Of course, you're right. Whether of it's course. Obama, I mean, I, Guantanamo Bay, bombing of children in the Middle East, endless wars in Afghanistan, whether it's Bush, Obama, or Trump, whether it's bailouts for banks, whether it's healthcare, whether it's whatever it is, I see nothing but scary fascist socialist systems being put in place and endlessly draining the economy and the and the resources of this country that I don't want the government to somehow go in and try to help all the poor people. But if the government would maybe get out of the way and not even have, I, 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 I help me, man. Oh, I, Cody, I don't know Cody. So listen, you, 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 if, if we, we could talk for hours about this stuff, but let me put it this way. So yeah, of course, Trump is not a hero and Trump is not a good president. I'm here in Washington and it's, I'll, I'll just tell you the way I feel about him. I'll wake up in the morning. My brain is clear. Um, I'm in a good mood. The sun is shining. The flowers are blooming. The birds are singing. I go out into the driveway. I pick up the newspaper and I open. I'm like, oh. Trump is president, you know, and the, the gigantic tax cut for the rich and, you know, uh, uh, deregulating all over the place. And it, it, yeah, this is this is awful. And then also, you know, his tweets, which are just absolutely toxic. Um, so, no, of course, Trump is not a hero, but he did show how you can take a political establishment apart. Um, and now maybe that's only possible if you're a billionaire. But uh, he look as as I as I used to say right after the election, uh, you know, let's look on the bright side of Trump. He destroyed both the Clinton dynasty and the Bush dynasty but I, that's <laughs> at the I same time. I, 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 maybe the dynasty. No, he set up a, he set up a new with. dynasty, right? He set up a new dynasty, the Trump dynasty. Now we have to live exactly. with that. <laughs> you got Donald Trump Jr. You got Eric Jr. and Ivanka. I, I but the again, what I don't understand is. At what point do liberals and or conservatives have enough? Whether the wars themselves, the you know, it used to be you know, the Korean War was a very expensive and horrible thing. It was two and a half, three years. Vietnam, a handful of years. World War Two was so much shorter and i don't want to be in any wars yes i'm saying i i i think giant military is a bad thing in many ways from the ex taxes that we have to pay to support it to the enemies it makes around the world but how do i undo it it's not like voting for trump or bernie sanders is going to undo the military industrial complex those guys are part of it oh come on now Cody, I thought we were going to talk about easy things like the financial crisis. <laughs> Let's leave it with How this. do you undo the military industrial complex? Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to quote you on one thing and I'll let you have the last word and then we probably ought to wrap it up because you and I can go on about this for hours. And if you would, I'd love to have you back 
you know, even maybe once a month or something to have these the, these discussions some more because I think we're trying to advance it further than blind partisan thinking. You you quote, I, I wrote down this quote something I was listening to you the other day. E, people equate that. The government, partisans, the, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, what I call the Republican-Democrat regime, does this, you say. They equate dissent with partisan loyalty. Talk about that and how are we ever going to break free of partisanship grip of our country unless maybe we do what I say, go to write-in. You can only have write-in. You have to be smart enough to spell the candidate's name if you want to vote. Uh, the... Uh... We have some experience with that in Kansas, by the way. I'll tell you about that some of the time. Uh, <clears throat> the guy running for governor back in the 1930s and the Republicans, they knew he was going to win, uh, but they had to keep him from winning. And so they, they kept him off the ballot somehow. I'll tell you about it now. And so he ran as a writing candidate and he, 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 he had pencils printed up with his name on them so that people would, <laughs> people would spell it right, you know? <laughs> and, and even so, even so, the Republicans managed to count him out because some, there were enough spelling errors. It was, it was written down in enough different ways that they were able to count, you know. He would have won overwhelmingly, but they're like, nope, this guy spelled it one way, this guy spelled it a different way. Oh, well, you know? sorry. Exactly. Yeah, that, so that, that doesn't, that as a strategy doesn't work so well, even well, when but, you take but, precautions but like that. But, if there are no candidates on a lever, there is no lever to pull. You have, you are forced to spell someone's name when you vote. It would end partisan grip of the entire process because you can't, the system, the, the entire system of two parties would collapse. Look, I, I that, that would be wonderful. But to get back to the, the quote that you said about about that dissent equals disloyalty, that is what I'm writing about right now. So I'm writing a book about populism, which is the the movement in the 1890s that you know that turned this country on its head. It was the first big uh, sort of uh, labor uh, left wing movement uh, in this country that had a chance. And then, um, and then it's it sort of has reverberated. Their language has reverberated down through the the decades, um, and people. And so Trump, by the way, uses the kind of populist way of talking, and a lot of working class people think, you know, he's he's one of us, um, even though he's a billionaire. You know, you get that phrase, the blue collar blue collar billionaire. But the uh, uh, the yes, uh, look, I am, I I sort of started. I started criticizing Barack Obama in print in 2013. I was at Harper's Magazine at the time. And, uh, and I said, look, if I, I can't years? just, well, I, I criticized him uh, quite a bit when I was at the Wall Street Journal, but at the time I felt like I was fighting a different fight. You know, I, I was writing for the Wall Street Journal and their audience is mainly conservative. And I wanted to try to defend um, uh, liberalism for this audience. But later on, you know, when I was writing for a different publication and uh, Barack Obama had just been reelected over Mitt Romney. And I said, look, if I'm going to hold power accountable as a journalist, that's what we're supposed to do. Right. Hold power accountable. Uh, I have to start criticizing this guy and his administration. And so I did. And um, uh, and, and I instantly discovered that that kind of dissent is not <laughs> acceptable. You hit on something I'd like to just, I said we were going to finish, but you just hit on something I do want you to advance a little further. And and that is the idea that there are even liberal and conservative news outlets. Uh, yeah. I, it seems to me, in my duty, when I was invited to the White House press 
core meeting twice when I was an anchor there at Fox. And both times I wrote once to Bush and once to Obama, I screw you. I don't know what I put, but there was no way I would ever be a part of that grouping because whether the Democrats, the Washington Post and the New York Times should be just as vehemently against Democrats as they are Republicans. Every negative advertisement you see for a Republican or Democrat party candidate is accurate. It's accurate. They're all horrible. <laughs> That's good. Uh, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with you to, to, to a certain degree. I think in, a, in the broader historical terms, the Rep we're in the, uh, the era of, we're in a conservative era. We've been moving to the right since the um, late 70s, early 1980s. And by and large, the Republican Party has been the, uh, the driving force behind that. And that, that's my basic understanding. Now, the- uh, I disagree. The, I disagree. The, but the, 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 the Democrats, the Democrats the complete failure. But, there's, but there, it's a, it's in a two-party system, it's this endless, you know, it's this endless sort of waltz that they do. And the, the Democrats under Bill Clinton decided, well, we're not going to be the party of Franklin Roosevelt anymore. And we're not going to offer a real alternative on this whole range of issues, all of these important things. And uh, Barack Obama signed on to that agenda. Uh, and that's that's really where we are today with you've got these these two parties who are in very, as you have mentioned, who are by and large in agreement on uh, the many of the important economic uh, issues of our time. And it's absolutely maddening. It's absolutely frustrating. And the system needs to be shattered uh, by, you know, by a kind of Bernie Sanders type of figure or something like that. And. Will the, uh, you know, I would love to see the New York Times uh, sign on to an agenda like that, but I'm afraid that's not who they are. Are you it's the same with the Washington Post. You, and can I, can I drink with one fact? Sanders this is one fact that will that will blow your mind. Say, say it again. Am I what? Are you still drinking the Bernie Sanders Kool-Aid? You don't think he's just no, no, another no, no, no. Democrat? I, 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 oh, I, th I think he's a new dealer. I, so I'm a, you asked at the start of the show what my politics are, and I'm an old, like, I like Harry Truman. I like Franklin yeah, Roosevelt. Bernie that's Sanders my that's my politics, and he reminds me of those he's guys. As fake as Obama was. They are not okay, maybe, like he, they're maybe. as fake as Trump but is. It's it's totally possible, but I like him a lot better than these other guys. But anyhow, he seems like something fresh and new, he, especially given that the the essential fact, which I mentioned earlier, that here in Washington everybody hates him. You know, <laughs> that he's he's beloved by the public, but here in Washington he's regarded as a crank. But that's uh, and the I same think that's thing that everybody but, tells but, me about Trump. Everybody here in New Mexico tells me he's beloved by the public, but he's hated by the yeah, Washington yeah, establishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the okay, same well, crap. Don't well, drink the Bernie well, Sanders Kool-Aid. He's a corporatist warmonger. Yeah. One last. Oh, come on. Bernie is not a warmonger. But uh, I, anyhow, but I'm not going to I'm not going to you, you have your instincts are good. Don't defend these guys. That's that's your, your instincts are good on this. But let me just say. Um, one last fact that I always point out to foreign audiences, they just can't believe it when you, you talk about the American, um, the news environment, okay? This is a country of, I was in France recently. How many people live in France? Is it 60 or 70 million? And they have, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight important daily newspapers in that country, okay? This is a country many times larger. 300 million people live in this country. We have three newspapers that matter.
in this country. And the Wall Street Journal doesn't really matter because it's, uh, you, you know, it's an outlier. So it's, you're down to two, basically. And the, in, the, the entire Post, I the Times and the Post and the entire rest remainder of the media, uh, the TV, uh, NPR, everybody else takes their lead from the, the, the Times and the Post. So you're talking about a country of 300 million people where the agenda is set by two papers and the papers, by the way, the times and the post are incredibly similar, you know, incredibly similar. The distance between them is so tiny. And they, I mean, their front pages, it's like they spy on each other. Their it's front amazing. pages will yes. often have the same photograph, <laughs> you know, virtually the same headline. And their, their op-ed pages take the exact same viewpoint. Washington post is a little to the right. I think in this day and age, you got to throw Fox News in there um, because I think <laughs> I, I, I'm being serious. I think, you know, every so-called conservative news outlet in the in America these days takes whatever is on Fox News in the same way that Washington Post and The New York Times set the agenda for all of the liberal news outlets. And this, again, speaks to my point. I fight the New York Times and Washington Post should not be partisan. They should be as anti-Republican as they are anti-Democrat and vice versa. In yeah. Fox News, you guys should be shining a light on injustices in the Republican system as much as you do in the Democrat system. Yeah. All of it's evil. Yeah, well, you guys out there yeah, have to fight yeah, it. I'm finally yeah. giving Thomas the last word, and then we're going to say goodbye. Welcome to the 21st century, my friend. A former CNBC and Fox News anchor, hedge fund manager, and the go-to stock market guest for The Tonight Show, Cody Willard and his stock analysis have been published in the Financial Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fortune Magazine, and many other places. Want to follow his secrets to investment success? Go to tradingwithcody.com. There you can get analysis on stocks, cryptos, markets, and the economy, a full list of Cody's positions, access to Cody's chat room, trade alerts every time Cody buys or sells, and much more. To find out more, go to tradingwithcody.com. You know what time it is? That's right. It's time for Sports with Ross Mark, my main man, Ross the Boss. Hi, I'm Ross the Boss, and I want to talk sports with you, cowboy. Great, great week coming up. NFL football, third week. I can't believe we're already three, three weeks in the NFL football. I got my power ratings. You've been waiting for these power ratings. I'm excited. You're excited. Let's hear them. LA Rams, number one. I never said, I never thought in my life I would say the Rams are the most powerful team in football. They are, Willard. What do you think? You know what? Actually, before the season started, I told my wife, I thought the Rams were going to the Super Bowl. But I changed my mind after seeing Superman. Aaron Rodgers come back in that second half in that first game. I think the Packers are destined for the Super Bowl's victory this year. Not just getting there, they're winning it. The Packers have no defense. We'll talk about that later. I, I don't like the Packers. There's no defense there. They should have got the, the, the guy from the Bears, but that's another story. Let's talk about number two, Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for Kansas City, rookie quarterback. He's throwing up like arena football numbers, this guy. He had five <laughs> touchdowns last week, five touchdowns the week before. I mean, this kid's tearing it up. Kansas City has a good defense. Not as good as the Rams, but they have a good defense, and they have a good running game. Watch out, Kansas. Watch out, people, for Kansas City. Russ, number three, Jacksonville. Let, let, Jacksonville. Russ, three, I got to say, it, the, the, the weapons that Mahomes has is incredible. The wide receivers, I mean, he's got four of the fastest guys I've ever seen on a football field. 
Tyreek Hill is the real deal. You're 100% right. He's fast. He can move. He catches touchdowns. He, he's, he, which he's a top five receiver in my book. I agree. Under, underrated. You are 100%, 100% right, Willard, on this one. I love Tariq Hill. I love Hunt, the running back for Kansas City. They are the real deal in the AFC. Another AFC team is Jacksonville. They're playing unbelievable. Their defense is probably one of the best in the league. I like, I like Bortles is playing way over his head. Their quarterback, Bortles, unbelievable. He had like 400 yards last week with four touches. Unbelievable. This guy is an average quarterback. He's playing way over his head. The fourth team I like, I got to throw him in there. I'm sorry, Cody. I know you're not a huge fan. Is the New England Patriots. They are, I mean, Belichick, Brady, I can't, you can't bet against them, especially coming up on Sunday night. They're playing Sunday night against Detroit in Detroit. We are taking New England. We'll give away the six points. I don't care. It's it's prime time. Brady's not going to lose. You know that, it's Willard. A, right? Interesting storyline on the. You're, you said the Patriots are playing the Lions, so you know that's yeah, an interesting storyline. Obviously, night. the new coach for the Lions is former offensive coordinator, or defensive coordinator, whatever it was for the Patriots. You're right. It's a guy with the big. I've got his name, but it's the guy with the beard. He shaved his beard a little bit. He looks a lot better now. But the Lions are zero two. They're not playing good football. They're not a good team, Willard. You know they're not good. Let's not. Um, you know pretend. what? Though I gotta say, I think you, you made a point about the Jaguars quarterback Bortles playing over his head, and I think that's right. They don't. They're gonna fade. I don't think the Jaguars were are getting to the playoffs this year, much less getting back to the cha- AFC Championship. Much less are they a top three power ranking. Hold on, I'm writing this down. Jaguars not making playoffs. Okay, I got that one. Okay, good. Completely wrong. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about Space Jam 2. LeBron James announced on Twitter, he showed a picture of his locker next to Bugs Bunny's locker. He's producing Space Jam 2. And with Ryan um, Kugel, who, who, who's some Black, Black Panther thing, he directed Black, Black Panther. They're, they're, they're coming together. They're doing Space Jam 2. I love how James says he doesn't want to be compared to Michael Jordan. What movie did Michael Jordan star in, Cody? Space Jam. Uh, Space what, Jam. What's, what's one of my James favorite? Space Jam Two. Please, please, please don't say you don't compare yourself to Jordan and you do Space Jam Two. And you That's know what? That's a great point. That is a great point. But I will tell you, I've had several calls from those guys already asking me to make a cameo in Space Jam Two, and I don't know if I'm going to do it. I I appreciate and I'm flattered and everything, guys. But come on, I I'm, I'm not a Hall of Famer like most of the guys are going to be in that movie. I'm a great well, the basketball player. Is, I mean, you know, they haven't written the script yet. They 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 have to shoot like, I mean, I can really tell you the casting. It's going to be Kevin Durant. It's going to be James Harden. It's going to be Steph Curry. We'll leave it with that thought. There is no way that we won't be comparing Space Jam 2 to Space Jam 1. They better do a great job because I, I know Space Jam 1 was a little cheesy, but I, I still love it. I make my daughter link and watch it. And she, she well, she suffers through it occasionally. She does I, like I thought it was overrated. Money. People, I know it made a lot of money. It made like half a billion dollars, this movie. Unbelievable. It made in the box office overseas all over the world. It still makes money. Overrated. There were a lot better cartoon movies that I'd rather watch than Space Jam. But you know what? It has Bugs, Bugsy Bogues in it. It has it has Michael Jordan in it. And, he, and, he, and when those guys star in a movie, I have to see it. I, I'm, you know, again, Space Jam 2, it probably will come out to 2020. You know what I mean? It, I mean, they got to write the script. They got to film it next summer. It's going to take a year to, to do all the editing. You're talking about 2020 at least. 
Well, so, you know what? I might reconsider. I, I hadn't thought about the fact that it's three, two years out before they they put this thing out. That I might be, I might, if I've got the time in the schedule, guys, give me another shout, LeBron. I'll let you guys know. That's Ross like the Boss with sports. Thanks, Ross.